you would help people get to this, what we call an aha moment. They'd find some sort of magical value. And if you're, you're deeply technical, it's a, you know, a super grep. We're, start, we're grepping across all the different boxes. We're finding that log line we need to solve our problem. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, Upwest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello and welcome to episode 136. We have with us today Jake Flomenberg, a partner at Wing Venture Capital. Jake is a partner at Wing and focuses on next-generation infrastructure, SaaS, and security investments. Since joining Wing at the start of 2019, he has led four investments, including SEMA AI and three stealth artificial intelligence-related SaaS companies. Jake Flomenberg, thank you so much for being on my show, 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Where are you calling from right now? I'm calling from sunny Menlo Park. Wonderful. So we're very, very close by neighbors, but you know, with this COVID situation, uh, it's it doesn't matter if we're uh, if we're two miles apart or a thousand miles apart. Uh, so either way, thank you for being here. Very brief overview, and then we're gonna spend we're gonna do a deep dive into your experiences. You know, worked with you know, so you did the UPenn and then Harvard MBA. Went on to uh, working with the founders of Cloudera as I think the first business hire, uh, and then running the Splunk UI product, which I've used extensively. Uh, back, uh, you know, in, in my years of engineering and the IDF, and now moved on to uh, being a venture capital partner at Excel Ventures and Wing VC. Did I get that somewhat right? Roughly correct. Wonderful. Jake, you know, I, I still can't do enough service to the incredible background that you have. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about yourself, and then I'd really love to pick your brain on these experiences moving from engineering, working with incredible startups early on, like Cloudera and Splunk, and then making that smooth transition into venture capital and some of your insight into your investment thesis and how you approach different opportunities. Sure. So why don't I give you sort of a, a, a quick rundown on my, my background and a few of the transition points I, I went through. So, so first, I actually did my undergrad at, at Duke. Um, I did sort of hardware, software, and engineering and said to myself, hey, how can I try to solve problems in the real world and, and found Lockheed Martin um, and had a lot of fun there for a few years, um, had a lot of impact, but it was also a conservative culture where it's hard for a 21-year-old to take on increasing amounts of responsibility. So I went to business school to retool, and this was in 2008, and I sort of came upon two trends I was interested in, cloud and data. Um, and cloud, it was the early days of things like Amazon Web Services, but they were a, they were a thing at that point. And I said, you have to be a big company to play in this game. And data. Um, and the more I looked at, at, at this field of big data, the more I realized, hey, I think I kind of know uh, a thing or two about this topic. I feel, you know, just from reading the trade rags, like I, I could be useful here. Yep. So for, for when, when summer came around, I just found every single big data company I could. Um, and one of them was called Cloudera. They had about 12 employees. Oh my God. Um, and I called them off and said, hey, you know, can, can I help? Literally, I called, I called the CEO, uh, Mike, and I spoke to all the founders. I spoke to uh, the CTO, Amr, and I think he actually thought I was interviewing for a software engineering job in the beginning. And so I never had the heart to ask him how, how that interview went. I think it was pretty poor. Um, anyway, you know, so they said, hey, come help. Um, and it was just, you know, there were just, there were just engineers. And so, you know, it, 
as we thought about some of the initial product roadmaps or business packagings and things like that, I got to play a really fun role um, in, in that. It was a lot of fun, um, but at the same time, it was a sort of deeply deep technology for technologists. And I said to myself as I was leaving business school, hey, how do we help mere mortals get some value out of data? It's great to help uh, people that can write lots of code, but how do we help you know, less technologically savvy people uh, benefit from these systems? And I, and I found Splunk and I said, wow, Splunk is sort of this vertically integrated big data application. They didn't call themselves that, but that's in effect what they were. They were serving mostly sysadmins or IT people. Right. Um, still, still deep, but but you know maybe not quite as as deep. And I saw, you know, I had a vision. I saw the ability for them to use this platform to service even less technically sophisticated people over time. Um, so I joined Splunk, and you know I was wow. there for a couple of years, right up to their IPO, and looked wow. after pretty much anything you could touch. Um, and then right around that time, uh, when Splunk was getting ready to go public, I joked that um, the VCs were typing into their LinkedIn search box, MBA plus big data. And, and I was one of the four hits, uh, you know, and so in 2012, there were only four hits. And so a, a large number of people reached out. Um, and I decided to make the move over to Excel wow. where I had known some of the guys. I met them, you know, through um, sitting in on a board meeting uh, at Cloudera. Um, and, um, you know, focused a lot on, on data and analytics. And so that depth of sort of knowledge and firsthand experience really enabled me to focus on a domain, uh, or, or focus area. And which is what I did when I started at Excel, I was there for about six years and then I came over to wing. Um, and at wing, our focus is really trying to just build, uh, help entrepreneurs on that journey from zero to product market fit and beyond. And so almost putting on my product manager hat and saying, hey, I want to do one thing really well. There's lots of ways as investors to, to make money with you know, consumer funds and growth funds and China and India strategies. But let's, let's build a product, us as a VC firm, around one thing, which is helping enterprise B2B entrepreneurs on that initial journey. Wow. Okay. I don't even know where to begin. I want to go back to to Cloudera and and Splunk because I th- those two are those two are incredible, incredible companies. You know, really like innovators in in the, the f- a field that I'm very passionate about. And you know, Splunk. How what was it like going into a company that has product market fit with a certain demographic? So right, you know, sysadmins and people who are you know still you know there might not be necessarily the, the engineers of the company, but they but they're very tech savvy. Today, Splunk services, you know, any person who's who's able to just, you know, to, to look at graphs and, and just connect the dots, right? And, and so so what is that like coming into a company and, and thinking of this vision and seeing a product that right now serves a certain demographic, but trying to extrapolate it onto, you know, a larger market? Yeah, I, I can't take, you know, too much credit here, but I can certainly describe the thought process going Please, on in the yeah. broader company. And, you know, it's roughly as follows. People initially at the time, they actually bought Splunk for an IT use case. Today, if you look at their financials, you, you might see it's actually a little bit more slanted to security um, in many cases. But, but back then, it was, it was mostly IT. Um, and you would help people get to this, what we call an aha moment. They'd find some sort of magical value. And if you're, you're deeply technical, it's a, you know, a super grep. We're, start, we're grepping across all the different boxes. We're finding that log line we need to solve our problem. Right. And if you do that you know, 100 times faster in Splunk than logging onto each box, you're very happy. 
And right. most people actually did that with the free product, with the free trial or a free download. Um, and so they were very excited by the time a salesperson actually contacted them, say like, you know, you want, you want to pay for this. Um, is that and- all, is that, is that generally the case that, you know, so, so obviously this idea of the freemium model is that you, you try to get their, your users to an aha moment when the, as they're just, you know, t- risk-free taking a, a, a stab at the software. And then when the salesperson comes around, it's easy, but is, is that, that sounds like very, something very difficult to do, right? For any company. You know, look, I think you have uh, one, I think Splunk was one of the pioneers in the true enterprise space. That sort of easy use, quick value is, is something that's now become the norm, the consumerization of enterprise. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't the tagline in, uh, back when Splunk got started. And there, they made a bunch of very thoughtful product and pricing decisions, but they also, you know, they had a great market. They just had this opportunity where you could make in the moment of truth, when the pager goes off, you could help someone. Right. Um, if you're building a payroll system, you can delight them, but you can't, you can't make them and say, aha, and, and, you know, in quite the same way, uh, for the most part, right? It just sort of depends what space you're in. And so you help them solve an acute problem in a moment of need. Um, and, you know, off the back of that, you were able to build a relationship. You were able to, you know, eventually have a financial transaction that happens. And then the way to think about um, serving other users is really to say, hey, you've put in X data. What if you put in you know, 1.25x data, uh, just 25% more data, and now you can enable use case Y, right? And so that's what security was, which was the clear second use case. We have to build more content for the security practitioners. Some of them are very sophisticated in code and write Python and understand the Splunk search language. Others need, they need charts, they need dashboards to, right. to do their job. And so we'll build those canonical dashboards. Um, you'll pay us for those. You'll pay us to put more, you know, data into Splunk. And now we've served, uh, serviced the second use case and then so wow. on and so forth. And I think within IT and, and security, Splunk has done a phenomenal job and we'll continue building uh, content to service uh, many, many other markets over time. So now you're moving on to, to Wing VC. And over there, you're mentioning that your focus is on helping entrepreneurs get their B2B SaaS platform to, to that product market fit and beyond, right? From the very early stages. So wh- what are some of the things that you're observing as you're going through this journey? Wh- what are some of the, you know, the, the, you know, the common challenges that, that you're observing? Because you're really seeing entrepreneurs very, very early on as they might have an MVP and they're trying to get these enterprises to buy into it. It, it doesn't sound very easy to me. Yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, we have a tendency to work with deep technological founders who have, an insight about a particular domain area. And this might be core IT, or it might be in the real world. I spend a lot of time looking at things like computer vision these days. And I have to tell you that there's going to be some value in core enterprise, but a lot of the value of these systems is out in the real world right. um, where, where you can see things and, and react. Um, and, you know, some struggling, there's a lot of struggles that these entrepreneurs go through. Hiring the right people is certainly a struggle. Most people don't struggle all that much in hiring the, the tech talent on in the early days. But that initial business model, that initial go-to-market strategy, sometimes that's something that the entrepreneur has done before. Often this is a new domain or that might be completely foreign to them. And so that's an area where we really try to roll up our sleeves and, and not do, but help and support, right? And say, here's an example of uh, a head of sales for a company in an adjacent space that's 
you know, at public company scale. You're never going to hire them, but maybe they're great at, you know, a great advisor. Here's an example of the marketing candidate um, you're going to want in another year, um, right? And so it's try to surround them with people and, and sort of thought partners um, that they can use to continually evolve their thinking and just encouraging people to take that experimental mindset. Sometimes people treat go-to-market like this black box where we hire a VP of sales, spend a couple million of dollars and see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's, it's two years in and, and a lot of money wasted before you can make any changes. Interesting. Um, and so that, that's where the area for sure we, where we sort of most repetitively and deeply engage. It's not very common for institutional VCs to come in that early on, right? I mean, I know a lot of a lot of VCs like to join in once you have some 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 great returns and you have a good ARR and you're and you're ready to take your series your Series A and grow. It, it depends. Um, you know, you should check out the Wing.VC blog if you want to see some pretty deep analysis by my partner Peter that really unpacks those trends. Um, what I'd say is as follows: Wing invests in in sort of three buckets: uh, the experimental seed bucket, which is We'll call it a $2 million check. Maybe there's some deep technological risk. Does Can you even build this? Does this market even exist? Right. Um, we invest in this round. We call the power seed, um, which is, you know, maybe it's a 4 to $6 million financing. It takes a long time to build deep enterprise tech. And some people are marketing these things as seed extensions or seed twos, which in my humble opinion is not great marketing. Someone says, oh, I've raised my seed extension. And I say... I'm sorry for your loss. You know, it's, uh, you know I, I think we could do better in branding these things. And then the classic Series A, which you know fluctuates a bit. It, you know, right. sort of ramped up really high in 2019. Maybe this is the eight to fifteen million dollar check size. And Wing actually aspires to invest across this entire spectrum. Wonderful. Um, and I think you see some some other some large firms. They they sort of dabble. Um, they'll play in this in this sort of experimental seed or power seed phase. Um, certainly in light of COVID, we've seen some people redouble their efforts a little bit there. But you're right. A lot of people are waiting for the Series A and 82% of the Series A's these days have you are, are post-revenue. Um, and if you look at the valuations, what are the Series A's? These are the Series B's from a decade ago yeah. is basically yeah. what they are. And so this, this power seed phase where you know, we have a little bit of product, we, we, we have probably, we're still pre-revenue in many cases. Um, we've engaged with the customers um, meaningfully. Um, that, that's an area that we feel really well equipped, equipped to play. We're happy to roll up our sleeves. We're happy to talk to those customers and figure things out um, right. with the entrepreneur. There's some firms that will participate and engage in such a process. And there's, there's many others that will say, hey, you know, let's just wait until it's obvious. Right. So, so investing in deep technology, it's a different type of investment than, than you know, going mainly off of, you know, the, the market and the, and, you know, just the financials. You're actually looking sometimes at founders who are, who are really, you know, they, they think that they have, they have understood their, their niche much better than, than others. And they are able to develop something that is cutting edge and that is really going to, to innovate on their domain. They're not just going and trying to, to take a similar technology that exists and implement it into another market. How do you go even about doing proper due diligence on that? And how do you, as a venture capital firm, support entrepreneurs who are dedicated to deep technology? Because innately, they're spending you know, years of research on these things. And then you have to come in and you have to determine within a matter of days or weeks whether this is something that you believe in. 
Yeah. You know, it's it, it that the way you describe it makes it sound hard. Um, <laughs> on the other end, I don't know how hard it is, right? So I have I have enough of a technical background that I can't go toe to toe with these entrepreneurs. Maybe I can pretend for some <laughs> period of time, but I can I can determine whether or not something is real. Whether it's you know is this BS or is this is this real? Um, and then if it's real, you know, we do the following: one, we're going to find the foremost domain authority to help validate, you know, the elements of risk that we see in the technology, whether that's the computer vision or the AI or the containers or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, And then, you know, depending on the state of the product, we're going to go out and talk to the customers and understand what their perception is, what it is that they have and haven't been able to validate, what it is that they they need, how it is that they're going to procure. Um, And then we sort of line everything up and say, all right, here's you know, here's the scorecard, here's the, the risks and opportunities we see. Um, does this make sense? And do we think that this entrepreneur is uniquely capable of navigating uh, through this environment? Wow, very, very cool. And, you know, you it really sounds like a lot of the experiences that you've had leading up to the venture capital world have really, you know, come together to give you this balanced and well-rounded insight into into the different things that you're doing. Do you feel, and I'm now I'm speaking as a young entrepreneur, and you know, a lot of my friends who are who are following this, they're also young engineers, young entrepreneurs, perhaps out of 8200 in Israel or perhaps out of Stanford or MIT here in the US. And now my question is you've had a lot you have had a variety of different experiences both in engineering and then product management and business. Do you think there are some there are some experiences that are more that were more worthy of your time than others that, you know, because in my generation, we have to make a lot of decisions all the time. Which companies do we go to? What fields do we study? How long do I want to be an engineer before I make my transition to product management? Just as an example, it's something that I'm grappling with and a lot of my friends are grappling with. Yeah. Which experiences do you think really tipped the, you know, moved the needle for you? Well, look, it, it all depends what you want to accomplish in, in your career. And, and I'll make two points. One, um, it's almost impossible to become more technical over time. Once you leave the engineering ranks, you've left the engineering ranks. Most people don't circle back, right? Um, And so people often rush to get on with it or become a product manager or whatever that is. But for the most part, that's a one-way trip. So, you know, choose your decision path wisely and know that, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, um, people didn't really empower technical ICs, individual contributors in the same way that they do today. And you sort of, you had to become at least a manager, right? Or your paycheck wasn't getting any bigger. Um, And companies like Google and others have done a great job really saying, hey, there's a path uh, to become, you know, a level eight or whatever it is, IC, and get rewarded for it. So like that, that's a viable career career strategy. Actually, Um, one of the most, one of the most incredible innovative things that I've observed in the Israeli military is this, is this exact same idea that, you know, that the Israeli military was, it's known that you want to go higher, you have to become an officer and you have to grow your ranks and get your different ranks or whatever. And all of a sudden in in the intelligence unit, they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, we actually have a new method. You can, you don't have to be an officer. You can be a professional technologist and get paid just as much. And actually they get paid more than the officers and they become this professional persona. Yeah, well, I mean, like if you think about it, you know, some engineers are not the, you know, the most gregarious people in the world. Some of them love to manage, love to talk to people. There's others that don't. They're two orthogonal skill sets and why you would forcibly lump them together, um, you know, creates 
suboptimal allocation of, of talent resources. hundred percent. hundred percent. So one, like don't rush to become less technical. Two, I think being a CEO or being a product manager is the closest that you can get to possibly um, uh, to, to preparing yourself for a career in venture. And you know what I mean by that is simply that these people sit at the intersection of business and technology. They're, they're not just writing the code and they're not just selling it. Um, and that ability to sit on both sides of the fence is, is very important in evaluating a business. I wish it was just build the right technology or the right. best technology and that wins. That's decidedly not the case in, in the real world. So you really need both perspectives. And I joke with, with product managers that venture capital is sort of like meta product management in some sense. You don't, you don't get to write any of the specs. You don't get to manage the CEOs in the same way, but at a, at a different level, that is sort of how I think about the, the space. I haven't thought about this, this transition and, and, and that the product management side has such a big influence on, on, you know, on the venture capital work. And I don't believe that most venture capitalists have had much product management experience. I know some of them have. A lot of them come from financial backgrounds, right? From finance and uh, and or or potentially CEO. But but this is something that that is it's very interesting to me. Well, you know, particularly at the early stage of enterprise B two B companies, I think it's a, a really relevant background to have. Definitely, when you're out raising your growth capital round. It can still be interesting, but there's a lot of people that you know, are going to be a lot more facile with, with the metrics and the, and the spreadsheets. Definitely. Um, but at, at, in that early days, having, you know, a, a support system, a thought partner um, to, to help navigate some of those issues on the product side, I think can be immensely valuable. Right. And, you know, uh, Hopefully some of the entrepreneurs I work with have found that to be the case. Jake, this was so enjoyable and time just goes by way too quickly on, on this show. I always joke that I wish I called it 30-minute leaders instead of 20-minute leaders, but now I'm stuck with the name, so I have to hold on to 20 minutes. But before we go, I have to ask you for three words that you would use to describe yourself. Three words that describe myself. Um, I'm diligent. I, I think I, I try to work hard. I'm dependable. Uh, you know, I'm there when uh, I'm needed. And that's I guess not, that's not something that you take for granted, dependable. It's uh, something that I've learned over very time. good times and bad times. There's a, there's a lot of stress as, as, as being an entrepreneur and you, you, you need, uh, you need folks that are going to show up uh, right. when you need it. You know, and also I have to go for the alliteration. So probably deep. Uh, I'm willing to get I'm willing to go deep to, to really understand uh, what it is that people are building and, and trying to accomplish. So there you go. I love it. So dependent, diligent, and deep. Jake, thank you very, very much. It was wonderful. I learned so much. I really appreciate you, ta- I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Thanks so much for doing it. Take care. Bye-bye.